This is Ignite. Good afternoon, Ignite. Yeah, it's such a joy to be in our daddy's house this afternoon. Um, I'm sure, you know, we're still buzzing and bubbling with Olympia. I know some of you are waiting like, okay, can we just see this result so we know where we stand? Don't worry, it's coming, <laughs> okay? It's coming. But for those that are joining us for the first time, you're super welcome. Can I just have a show of hands if this is your first time at an Ignite service? Just a show of hands. Oh, awesome. Well, you're welcome. Guys, can we give it up for them? You're very, very welcome. We're so happy. I am very happy that you're here um, joining us for this service this afternoon. Now, my name is Coco, and it's such an honor for me to be able to share God's word, to be used as a vessel um, for God, you know, to share the word today. Um, I'm quite excited because, you know, God is about to do something brand new. Somebody say brand new. Yeah, God is, some, God is about to do something brand new. But before we go into it, I just want to acknowledge the Bible says, give honor to whom honor is due. And I just want us to take some time to acknowledge the leadership of PWA and PTA in our midst. All right. Okay. So... So the reason why we do that, like I said, is, you know, the Bible says, give honor to whom honor is due, right? And um, they've been pouring it into our life, the fact that, you know, we're here, right? I mean, I mean, when I joined, when I knew anything called church, you know, and I gave my life to Christ, I didn't really know much. I grew a lot under their leadership. So that's why every time that I get the opportunity to appreciate them, you know, I, I make sure that I do so. So I just want us to just give it up to them again one more time, you know, for the awesome work, empowering us, believing in us, you know, um, endlessly, you know, praying for us. We're so blessed to have them um, as spiritual parents. Now, I just want to also appreciate a set of people that, you know, um, I'm sure many of you guys know, but they're really, you know, they're such amazing leaders. I mean, what you saw yesterday at Olympia, who was at Olympia yesterday, by the way? Oh, okay, awesome, great, great. So, what you guys saw yesterday, yes, you know, it's, it's, Pastor says something, he says, you know, if something is working, it means that people are working it, right? Things don't just work just for working sake, okay? But these two people, they're so committed, they're so dedicated, you know, putting tireless amounts of work. I mean, we all do, but, you know, they've been, they are, they are the leads, you know, of the Ignite Church. And I just want us to appreciate Efe and Chini Onyobosa for the work that they are doing. I love you guys. I appreciate you guys. You guys are amazing, amazing, amazing leaders. And you know what we saw yesterday, I mean, the planning, the execution, the seamlessness of things, right? Did anybody witness that? Yeah, it was amazing. I mean, can we please give it up again for them? Yeah, yeah, they're amazing people. God bless you guys real, real, real good in Jesus' name. All right, so let's get into it. We're going to talk, um, before, you know, we talk about what we're going to talk about today, let's do a little recap of what we discussed last week, right? So last week, we started a new series called The Basics of Christianity, and, you know, we talked about the foundation, right? And one thing that we established is that foundations are important, right? The foundation of the building will determine the, the kind of building that you can build. Excuse me, the use of build multiple times, but you get what I mean right, um, that you can build upon that foundation. So it's not just a matter of, oh, you know, I want to, um, I want to build a skyscraper, but okay, that's an idea, that's great, but what does your foundation look like, right? Because if you don't have the right foundation, it's only a matter of time. If you try to build, you know, a skyscraper on the foundation of a bungalow, it's just a matter of time, it's gonna crash, okay? Not because, you know, God is wicked, but because there are principles that needs to be implemented for things to work, okay? And then we looked at our anchor scriptures in Hebrews 6, verse 1 to 3, and in Luke 6, verse 46 to 49, where in, Luke, where in Hebrews 6, verse 1 to 3, it talks about the foundations um, of, um, the foundation of our Christianity, and then in the book of Luke um, 6, verse 46, to 49, it talks about the effects, or should I say the results of, you know, if one builds their life or builds a home or whatever 
on, um, on a shaky foundation or on the solid foundation, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible tells us that it's a matter of when and not if, because storms are bound to happen. And I did mention last week that, you know, all of us right here, we're either in one of three categories. We're just about to enter into a storm, currently trying to navigate a storm, or just exiting from a storm. So that's why, you know, these foundational teachings are important so that we can reevaluate to see, okay, how strong is my foundation, right? So we looked at, you know, we said that there are six found, um, foundational teachings on Christianity, and we took a look at, at three of them. The first one, repentance from dead works. Sorry, I'm just realizing that I did not move my slides. Can I please have my slides? Thank you. The first one is repentance from dead works, right? It talks about the change of mind. So as your mind change, your direction as well should change, right? The Bible says if truly you say you're a Christian, we should be able to see from your life, right? And repentance is not just a, it's not a one-time event. It's a lifestyle, right? Because, you know, how I think about it is that if you're living a life of repentance, your, mem your MO or your memory, how do you call it, memory operandus, MO anyways, you get what I mean, um, should be as I know better, I do better, Right? You agree with me? As I know better, I do better. So that is the whole per, uh, uh, point of repentance. It also means to drop everything that is world-like, that is associated with the world, to be able to follow Jesus, right? Um, Jesus told the disciple, follow me and I will make you, right? The followings and the following that we're being made. You know, the Bible says that, your, that our mind should be transformed. So that I, I talked about, you know, changing of one's mind that leads to a change of direction or a change of life, okay? And like I said, it's not a one-time event. It's a lifestyle. It's a change of life. And it should be evident to anybody that looks at you that you are a Christian, Okay? It's not just a matter of figment of our imagination. We should be able to see it from your life if truly you have repented. Okay? The second, one that we, the second one that we took a look at is faith. Faith is absolute trust in God, not in our efforts, but it's a deep-seated conviction that is seen in action. Now, many a time when we talk about faith, you know, um, we say, oh, you know, I'm trusting God or I'm believing God. You know, all this Christianese. <laughs> That's what people typically say, right? But the truth of the matter is that faith is not action. Faith is trust, belief, then you act. So that means that there cannot be any, any faith, there cannot be true faith without trust in God. And one cannot trust God if you don't know who God is, right? So for example, you know, Let's just take, let's take a relationship, for example. Trust is built the more you know the person, right? Or you just give trust at the beginning like that. Oh, please, I think. Right? It's built the more you know the person, right? So similarly for us, for you and I as kingdom people, our ability to trust God wholeheartedly, completely should grow with time. And when I say grow with time, not necessarily a function of the clock, but grow with us applying ourselves to the word of God as we grow. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. There cannot be real faith without the word of God. The Bible is complete. It doesn't need any more addition, nor subtraction. And we, un and we know God through the scriptures. So there's no need to go to other sources in looking for God. The Bible is complete. It is a book that was inspired by, the, by God for you and I so that we can know how to do life the God way on this side of eternity. And we looked at seven ways on how to um, grow in faith, right? We spoke about reading the word of God, hearing the word of God, studying the word of God, memorizing it right? Meditating on it, then you apply. So that's what I said. Faith is not just action. It's, okay, what have you believed that you're acting on? So for example, I pay my tithe. Why? Because I believe that God is my source. And I believe the scripture that says, pay your tithe. It doesn't say give your tithe. It's pay, right? So because I believe that, then I do it. Right? So many a time when we're not doing what the Bible is telling us to do, it's because there's a gap in knowledge. There's a gap in understanding. There's a gap in light. 
Okay? So that's why, you know, the Bible says, pursue after knowledge. In all you're getting, get understanding. Right? Because without that, it's very hard, quasi impossible to really walk in faith. And as kingdom citizen, you and I, um, the Bible tells us that in the kingdom, we live by faith. We don't live by sight. So that means that if you don't know God, it's going to be very hard to live by faith. Right? Because the sight portion of things will tell you, ah, the economy is very tough. Are you sure you really want to give your tithes? You know, this money can be allocated to X, Y, and Z, right? But faith tells us God, and and I I like, I like that, I believe it's in Malachi, it says, you know, prove me in this if I will not open up the floodgates of heaven for you. So there is a blessing associated with every act of obedience or act of faith that we venture in. It says, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you so great a blessing until there's no more room to receive it, right? So that is faith, okay? Faith must be based on knowledge, And the third one that we looked at is baptism, right? We looked at three types of baptism. The first one, baptism into the body of Christ. This is what happens when you and I, we give our life to Jesus, right? We're being engrafted, you know, from from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of life. And now we can call ourselves children of God, okay? And at that point, when we give our life to Christ, what happens is that the Holy Spirit comes into into the inside of us. Our sinful nature is completely dealt away with, and now the Holy Spirit empowers us to be able to live a life that is pleasing and acceptable to God on this side of eternity, okay? The second one that we looked at was baptism in water, and I'm going through this because I realize that there's a lot of of, um, new people in, in our midst, so just so that they can be brought up to speed. Baptism into water. So this is not sprinkling of water. This is immersion, right? Because the immersion signifies us dying with Christ. And then when we now come out of the water, that is our new life that has now emerged. Okay? So it's not sprinkling. It's immersion. So, the, I mean, I'm sure people have been baptized here at the Ignite Church. And I know that there's more opportunities that will come for those that give their life. But that is you know, a, fun, a, a fundamental of the faith. Okay, and the last one, which we're going to take a lot more look into, is baptism in, baptism in the Holy Spirit, right, which happens through the laying of hands. All right, so today, again, we're going to continue in that light, and what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at the remaining three out of the six, right? So last week, we looked at repentance from dead work, faith, baptism, and today, we're going to take a look at laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. Let us pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you. We give you all the glory. We give you all the praise. Be thou exalted in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father, for the salvation of our souls. Thank you for the gift of Jesus to us. Spirit of the living God, we ask in the name of Jesus, you are the great teacher. We ask that you would teach us the hidden mysteries of God in the mighty name of Jesus. That you will shed, oh God, Father, light, oh God, Father Lord, to the things, to the darkness in our lives in the name of Jesus. Holy Spirit, show us the many things that we do not know so that we can draw closer and closer to you in the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we've prayed, amen. All right. Laying on of hands. So now the laying on of hands, just like the word says it, is the placing of hands upon the body of another person for a definite spiritual purposes. The key word there is spiritual purposes. Okay? Now it had a lot of significance, you know, in the Old Testament. And similarly to us as New Testament believers, it also has a lot of significance to us. Right? So now... In the laying of hands, what actually happened is that there's an exchange, okay? The more dominant spirit, whether good or bad, okay, because it can be good or bad, is being transferred. So that's the exchange that happens in the the spirit, from a spiritual standpoint, in the laying of hands. Now, again, to, to further explain is that there's an outflow of that spirit. So whoever has a greater, that has a greater authority, of that spirit that outflows to the person. So you see, it's not just touching, okay? Because like I said, it's for a definite spiritual purpose. Now, there are four main reasons why, you know, for the laying of hands from, a script, from the scripture. The first one is to impart healing. Now, in the Bible, 
Jesus healed people in multiple ways, okay? For some people, he spoke a word. For other people, he gave an instruction. And for others, he laid hands, right? Because like I said, it's for a specific purpose. The Bible tells us in Luke 4, 40, and I'm reading in the Amplified, it says, while the sun was setting, marking the end of the Sabbath day, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to Jesus and laying his hands on each one of them, he was healing them, exhibiting his authority as Messiah. So when Jesus was laying hands on people for them to be healed from their various diseases, what he was doing was that he was exhibiting his authority over the demonic spirits of sickness. So you see here that there's the outflow of spirit, right? The greater spirit being Jesus, exhibiting what? Authority. So that means that the laying of hands is a transfer of authority. Again, it's not just touching, okay? The second one, the second reason that, we, that we'll take a look at with laying on, with the laying um, on of hands is to impart the baptism of the Holy Spirit, right? Acts 19 verse 6 and I'm reading from the easy translation. I'm not sure if um, technical has the easy translation, but for those that are following on the Bible app on the U version, you can find it easy, E-A-S-Y translation. It's amazing. It speaks colloquial, normal English, and I love it. And it says, Paul put his hands on their heads, and the Holy Spirit entered them. From that moment on, they were praising God in tongues and talking about God's action. So in this, in this case, we see that there's an outflow of the Holy Spirit from Paul to these 12 believers in Ephesus. Okay? So Paul, because the Bible tells us that Paul was full of the Spirit, right? He was operating on a, in a higher dimension of the Holy Spirit. So he was able to overflow it to them to the 12 believers in Ephesus, which, which, um, which led to them receiving the Holy Spirit. So when we talk about, you know, receiving the Holy Spirit, we're talking about speaking in tongues, right? And we saw it last week in um, Jude one twenty, right? Where it, talks, it says, you know, when you speak in tongues, not only are you edifying yourself, you're building yourself, you're becoming stronger in the Spirit, but you're also making progress, right? And it shows here that the moment that the Bible says he laid his hands on their heads, you know, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit entered them and then it manifested in what? In them speaking in tongues, that was one. And number two, you know, they, they started prophesying, okay? Because that is also what happens, you know, when, when there's laying of hands, right? Spirit entering another spirit. So depending on what the spirit, on what spirit the person that is laying on hand has, that spirit enters the other person, okay? And in this case, like I said, we see it here. Um, it, it, they were imparted to what? To speak in tongues, and they started what? Prophesying, okay? So, and, like, and as I mentioned last week, speaking in tongues is so important. You know, it's, if, you don't, if, you're, if you don't speak in tongues yet, I encourage that you start praying for it because it's, it's, that's one of the ways that, um, that we're able to edify ourselves, right? Sometimes, you know, our words cannot really articulate how we're really feeling. Only the Spirit can really do that, right? So that's why, you know, when we speak in tongues, it, it's, it's, um, it powers our prayer lives, okay? The third one is to impart spiritual blessings, impart spiritual gifts and blessings. Spiritual gifts are they are for the edification and fortification or empowerment of the church, so when we talk about spiritual gifts, you know, the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians there's a list of spiritual gifts, right? Um, you know, the working of miracles, that's a spiritual gift. It's not for boasting rights. It's for the edification and the empowerment of the church, okay? Romans 1 verse 11 in TPT, and it says, I yearn to come and be face to face with you and get to know you. For I long to impart to you some spiritual gift that will empower you to stand strong in your faith. Now, this means that when we come together and are side by side, by side something wonderful will be released. We can expect to be co-encouraged and co-comforted by each other's faith. So you see here, it says to empower you to stand strong in the faith. So we need spiritual gifts, 
okay? And the good news is that spiritual gift is not for a group of Christians. It's for every believer. It's for every believer, okay? It's for every believer. And, and as I mentioned, they're important because they help us to be strong in the faith. So as I mentioned earlier, 1 Corinthians 12, 4 to 11, it talks about the spiritual gifts. Again, these are different gifts or services, um, but they all originate from the Holy Spirit. So how you can see them is that these are different manifestations of the Holy Spirit, okay, which we all need to stay strong in the faith, to be encouraged, and to be comforted. And similarly, these gifts, they can be transferred, right, through the layings of hands, okay? They can be transferred. The Bible tells us in 1 Timothy 4, verse 14 in Amplified, it says, do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, that special endowment which was intentionally bestowed on you by the Holy Spirit through prophetic utterance when the elders lay their hands on you at your ordination, so spiritual gifts can be transferred, right? So they're like the gift of wisdom. That can be transferred through the laying of hands. So again, it's not just touching, okay? And then last but not least, is to set people apart for specific assignments. The laying of hands empowers and, empowers and also deploys chosen people for specific assignments. And we see this in the book of Acts, Acts 13, 1 to 5, in the message translation. It says, the congregation in Antioch was blessed with a number of prophet preachers and teachers. So we had Barnabas, Simon, nicknamed Niger, Lucius the Cyrenian, Manaean, an advisor to the ruler, Herod, and then we also had Saul. So these are five men. One day, as they were worshiping God, they were also fasting as they were waiting for guidance. The Holy Spirit spoke, take Barnabas and Saul and commission them for the work I have called them to do. So they commissioned them in that circle of intensity and obedience, of fasting and praying, they laid hands on their heads and sent them off. And then it goes on to say, sent off on their new assignment by the Holy Spirit. So you see here that the laying of hands is something that must be prompted by the Holy Spirit, right? It tells us that there was a, there was a series of action that led before the, that happened before they laid their hands. It tells us, number one, what were they doing? They were fasting and praying for what? For guidance, right? That's one. They were worshiping, right? And then the Holy Spirit spoke, so it was an instruction. It wasn't just, oh, you know what? I'm a child of God. Let me go and just be laying hands on anybody, right? So it was prompted by the Holy Spirit, and then it yielded result because eventually, if you continue to read, you know, it talks about um, their next assignment. So Paul, uh, Paul and Barnabas, their next assignment, they had to go and see um, a governor, right? That's, you know, the Bible tells us that he was an intelligent man, but he was operating, there was a spirit, right, called Elimas the sorcerer, that, that did not want him to give his life. So this laying of hand gave them not only a new assignment, but it empowered them not just for the assignment, but also for the challenge associated with the assignment. Because with every assignment comes a challenge. Okay? So, again, you know, their hands were laid on Paul and Barnabas. They went, you know, and did the assignment. And, again, if you continue reading, I encourage you to read that story. Um, like I mentioned, the laying of hand empowered them because it was prompted by the Holy Spirit and it was tied to an assignment. So that's why, you know, the Bible tells us at the latter end, it says, Paul, full of the Spirit, because you remember, um, we saw it before, right? Paul touched their head and what the Holy Spirit entered them. So Paul was full of the Spirit. That's why he was able to tell Elimas the sorcerer, get out right? Because you just think about it, okay? So this is a governor that they're going to, is evangelism, if you want to put it that way, right? The thing about the spirit is that demons know who you are. You know, they say, oh, you know, um, they, they size you. Demon sizes. They know. Because they told, they said, um, the sons of Sceva, when they went, they said, ah, Jesus, I know. Paul, I know. Because I've weighed them. They are, heavy, they are heavyweights. Who are you? Right? So that's why, you know, 
we don't just take any assignment. As children of God, the Bible says, you know, we're moved by the impulses of the Holy Spirit, right? It tells us here, you know, this same Acts 13, it says, they were waiting for guidance. So that's why when the opposition came, they weren't afraid because they know they were sent, because they were backed, right? So similarly, like I said, when, when that, um, that order is followed, it comes with the empowerment to face any type of challenge, okay? Because the provision is, is, is inside the instruction, all right? So, you know, like I said, Paul was able to rebuke the sorcerer, and as a result of that, um, the, the governor called Sergius, uh, Sergius Paulus, he, he gave his life to Christ. So you imagine that type of evangelism, right? And let, let, me, let me bring it to just normal t- today's world. So, you know, hands are laid on you, and then they say, okay, separate to me, Amy, to go and speak to the governor, evangelize the governor. That is a huge deal for Canada. You would agree with me, right? That's a huge assignment, right? So it's the same thing. So when hands are laid, it's a deployment for a specific assignment. And everything that you will need is in that power, is in that laying of hand, because it is tied to the assignment. So this, this means that there's a couple of things, you know, as I was thinking about it, it means that there's two things, right? We must be careful who we allow to touch our heads. Right? You know, in search of answers for different things, we, are, we should not expose ourselves to things that could potentially have very detrimental, um, detrimental you know, effect on us, right? I, I, there's a scripture that I really, um, I really, really like, I believe is in Isaiah um, 8, verse 9. It says, you know, when, when they tell us, go and see the fortune tellers, you know, go and consult the dark world, we will tell them we're going to read our Bible. Because everything that we need is in the scripture. I believe it's Isaiah 8, verse 9, um, in the message translation. If I could please have it on the screen. Isaiah 8, 8 verse 9. Okay, hold on. I'll find it. Just give me one moment. Ah, there we go. Okay, 19. Thank you. It says, when people tell you, try out the fortune tellers, consult the spiritualist. Why not tap into the spirit world, get in touch with the dead? Tell them, no, we are going to study the scriptures. Because people who try the other ways get nowhere, a dead end, frustrated and famished. So we should be careful who we, you know, put our head to touch especially when you don't know this kind of spirit that they are operating under, right? So that's one, that's one, should I say, caution. The second caution as well is we also should be careful to not just lay hands on anybody, right? If you are not sent, don't send yourself. True, right? Because <laughs> the thing about this spiritual, the spirit realm is that it's not merciful to ignorance. It doesn't say, oh, you know, she didn't know, that's why she did it. It doesn't work like that. If you go in there and you want to operate it, you better know what you're doing. And how we know what we're doing is what? The scriptures. That's what that Isaiah 8, verse 19 to 22 tells us. That when they tell us, oh, try other means, we say, no, let's just do this 66 books. It has everything inside. Right? So that is... The, the, the second caution, you know, as we're, as, 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 we're, as we're thinking through it. Now, the fifth um, foundational teaching is the resurrection of the dead, right? Resurrection of the dead is real. It's not a figment of imagination, okay? It is very real. There's so many examples um, of, you know, of, of resurrection in the Bible, Okay, and it is one of the foundations of our faith. And when I talk about resurrection of the dead, I'm talking about, I'm talking about it literally. Don't get me wrong. Yes, there's the figurative part of it, but I'm also talking about it literally, right? It is real. It is very real. Okay, First Corinthians 15, verse 16 to 18, and I'm reading in the Amplified. 
And it says, for if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless and powerless, mere delusion. If you're still in your sins and under the control and, and penalty of sin, then those also who are fallen asleep in Christ are lost. So this, this scripture is basically saying that if you do not believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, your foundation of Christianity is shaky. Jesus died. Not figurative death, literal death. And he rose. Because again, this scripture is saying that if truly Jesus did not die, we're in trouble. Because the whole essence of Easter, what is it? It's not the resurrection of Jesus. So can you resurrect if you have not died? So death happened. That is why there's a resurrection. So this is very, very, very important. If you and I do not believe this, we cannot claim, we cannot lay claim to scriptures like 2 Corinthians 5.17. You know, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Like, how are you a new creation if the death has not happened? And that's why we're going over the, found, the, 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 the fundamentals, right, the basics, so that you and I can see, okay, of these six, which one am I struggling to believe? Let me just start making, you know, necessary changes, right? Because there is no life. We cannot lay claim of any life in Christ without the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ died and he rose. That is good news. That is gospel. That is Bible. The Bible tells us in Matthew 28, verse 6, and I'm reading in the ERV, it says, But he's not here. He has risen from death. As he said he would, come and see the place where his body was. So there were witnesses that saw that the tomb was empty. Resurrection is real. The resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ is real. So that's why, you know, when we read the story of Lazarus, right, John 11, the Bible tells us that he was dead. I think, I think four days. The Bible was saying that his body was even smelling. But when Jesus appeared to the scene, he introduced himself as, to Martha as what? The resurrection and the life. That's why, Jesus, that's why Lazarus was able to, to come out of the dead. If Jesus had not died, if he had not called himself the resurrection and the life, there would be no story of Lazarus. He would have just died like any other person. So this is the fundamental of our faith. There is no life, there's no hope for you and I if Jesus had not died and resurrected. That is the whole essence of our Christian walk. That's why we can say, you know, that I am dead in the flesh, but I'm alive. Like how? Like, okay, are you alive? Are you dead? Which one is it? Right? It's because of what Christ, the complete work of Christ at Calvary, that you and I can lay claim to these promises. You know, in 1 Corinthians um, 1, verse 18 to 21, and I'm reading the message translation, 1 Corinthians 1, 18 to 21, it says, the message that points to Christ on the cross seems like sheer silliness to those hell-bent on destruction. But for those on the way to salvation, it makes perfect sense. This is the way God works, and most powerfully, as it turns out. So that means that for you and I, when we're faced, you know, with situation, now I'm talking figuratively now, that seems like it's dead. You know, there's no hope. We have Jesus, the resurrection and the life. That's, you know, that's why we said, you know, we can call those things that be not. Because of resurrection and life. Because of resurrection and life. So, you know, when, 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 when somebody tells you, oh, you know, there's no hope, 
you know, oh, this is a done deal. I mean, which is basically, I just did it, right? Resurrection and life, there's no such thing as did it. Because he's both resurrection and he's also life. So that means that because there has to be resurrection before there's life, which he has already fulfilled. So that's why we can claim rights to life. So that's why we can say scriptures like, you know, I will not die but live, you know, to declare the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. That's why we can say scriptures like that. Because the message of the cross. So, and, you know, and with resurrection of the dead, the other part as well is that, you know, Jesus is coming. Ah, it's, not, it's good news, though. <laughs> the way you're looking at me is like, ah, wow, you preach such a service like this only. Jesus is coming. It's good news. It's good news when you know scripture. When you know which side you are, it is good news. And the Bible tells us that when he's going to come, okay, when Jesus is going to come, things, some, things will happen, right? For, for believers, for people that died as Christians, okay, they will be taken, they'll be taken, they'll be taken up, right? You guys have read it before, right? Okay, don't worry. Let me open it for you. Okay, so let's take a look at um, 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 16 and 18, and I'm reading it in the easy translation. And it says, on that day, the Lord himself will come down from heaven. He will shout with authority. People will hear the voice of the leader of God's angel. They will hear the sound of God's trumpet. Then those, who, those people who died as Christians will become alive again. They will be the first people to rise up. After that, those of us who are still alive will join together with them. God will suddenly take us up into the cloud. In that way, we will all meet with the Lord in the, in the sky. So we will all be with the Lord forever. So here it talks about this is for the portion of those that are believers, right? So the forefathers of the faith that died as Christians. This is what we call rapture. This is the whole essence of rapture, right? So the forefathers of the faith, when Jesus is coming back, they will go up first. Then, if you and I are still alive, when Jesus is tiring, then we as well will be raptured, right? So that's what I'm saying that, you know, it's not bad news if you know where you are, right? Because what does the Bible say? The Bible says to be absent of the body is to be with the Lord, Right? So if it's, it's only scary, really, when you don't know which side you're on. And these things are real. They're not a figment of our imagination. So that's why, you know, that living forever with God, every decision that we make on this side of eternity is either leading us closer to that end or away from it. Right? And there's only two destinations when it comes to eternity, heaven or hell. There's no, which leads me to my, other, to my next point, eternal judgment. There's no, uh, what's it called? Purgatory. I read it, I studied Italian in U of T. And they made us read, you know, Italians, very, very thoughtful people, you know, they like the arts and the structures and all that kind of stuff. And I remember we read, I'm trying to remember the name of the book now, and it was talking about all these different, you know, first, um, outside, this one, purgatory, that one, this one. And I remember, I mean, but this was years ago, right, like, what I'm talking about 10 years ago when I was at UFT. And I remember I was like, ah, this is so complicated. Why are there so many levels? Scripture is very simple. Hell, heaven. Baby, one thing is remaining, right? So, like I said, it's inside here, inside the Bible, that we know the truth. We don't need to be looking at any other literature, because that's what it is. It's literature. This is truth. And like something my mom said, truth is stubborn. You can't fight it. Right? So, this is truth. Okay? So we don't need to go anywhere else. And the Bible tells us that eternal judgment is real. Hell is real. 
Hell is real. There's no, oh, you know, when I get there, I'll try and bribe Jesus. Eh? This one, you can't do what, you do what some of you people did at Olympiad. You see the joy, you say, ah, I know you. <laughs> it doesn't work like that. Right? The only place where we can actually determine where we go is here. It's on this side of eternity. We're still on earth, living. Right? Because once you and I die, if we have not made the right choices, it's determined already. It's determined is already determined. So, you know, Matthew 18, verse 8 to 9, and I'm reading in the Amplified, it says, if your hand or your foot causes you to stumble and sin, cut it off and throw it away from, from you. That is, remove yourself from the source of temptation. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into everlasting fire. This is fire that does not stop. Rain, no, snow. It does, if I don't even think there's rain or snow there. Continuous fire. This is good news. I'm sure like some, I'm just seeing some of you are just shaking your seats. But this is gospel, right? And then it goes on to say, if your eyes causes you to stumble and sin, pluck it out and throw it away from you. That is, remove yourself from the source of temptation. It is better for you to enter life with only one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into fiery hell. So the first one, it says everlasting fire. This one, it now says fiery hell. Just to show the emphasis of the level of fire that goes on in there. And to be very honest with you, right, Hell was not designed for you and I. That is facts on ground. Right? Um, I think it's in Second Peter. It, talk, it says, you know, God is not slow with his promises as you and I understand slowness. He's just giving us time and space to change. I need to show you. I believe it's in, it's in um, Second Peter. It says he's just giving us time Time and space to change. Okay, very good. Thank you. Second Peter 3, verse 9. Can I have it in the um, TPT, please? This means that contrary to man's perspective, the Lord is not late with his promises to return. So, Jesus is coming. You know, when somebody says, oh, you know, I can't wait for Jesus to come back. He's not delaying because he's wicked. Why is he doing? Continue. As some measure lateness. So God is actually not late. But rather, his delay is simply reveals his loving patience towards you. Because he does not want any to perish, but all to come to repentance. So you see the word repentance again comes in, which is one of the foundations of Christianity, right? So hell was not designed for you and I. It was designed for Satan and his cohorts. So that's why, that's the whole essence of, you know, Jesus coming back. So that we can now choose to put our trust in Jesus to live a life that is pleasing and acceptable to him so that either, you know, he comes when we, are, when we died in Christ or when we are alive, we go with him. So hell was not designed for you and I. So that's why, you know, it says failure, the failure to separate, you know, from the world, because it says separating yourself from temptation, the failure to do so automatically has already enlisted us in a category because there's no middle ground. There's no waiting room, you know, where you, you appeal your case. There's no, there's no, you can't appeal your case once, you, once, once we die. So that's why, you know, the Bible tells us in... Um, in, um, in 1 Peter 1, verse 18, in the message translation, it says, your life is a journey. You must travel with a deep consciousness of God. It costs God plenty to get you out of that dead end, empty-headed life you grew up in. God wants us to live with a deep consciousness of him so that every decision that we make, every act that we take, you know, it's inspired by our faith, which is prompted by the knowledge of God that we have. So that's why, you know, we must take the salvation of our souls as priority, right? It's very important. 
we must take it as priority. You know, the Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. There's nothing that is worth our soul. You know, the scripture says, what, what does it profit a man? To gain the whole world and to lose his soul. Right? That, you know, you're, you're rich, you're this, you're that here on this side of eternity. That when it comes to, you know, that decision, eternal judgment, you know, when you and I will have to give an account, either you're a saint or you're a sinner, everybody will have to give an account. And when we look at the books, your name is not there. That will not be our portion in the name of Jesus. And, you know, the thing is that we don't know when Jesus, nobody knows. I'll tell you, scripture, Matthew 24, verse 36, TPT. It says, concerning that day, Matthew 24, 36, in TPT, it says, concerning that day and exact hour, no one knows when it will arrive. Not even the angels of heaven, only the Father knows. So this means that you and I, we must live ready. Live ready to go. Live with, you know, with, with eternity in mind, right? Not just live for today, live with eternity in mind, which should inform, you know, the decision, the action, where we go, who we talk to, what we do, you know, who we associate with, all of that through the lenses of eternity because this is the foundation of Christianity. It's not just, you know, a matter of, you know, praying that God will answer our prayers. Yes, the Bible already says, to he that answers prayers, all flesh will come. He does answer prayer, but that's not, the, that's not all he does. Okay? So, again, we must live this life, this journey, with a deep consciousness of God. Because if one is not safe, if you're not saved, the final decision has already been predetermined. Like, we don't get to pick the action and pick the consequences. Once we've picked the action... We've made the decision. The cost is buy one, get one free. Bogo. <laughs> right? Once you've picked the action, that's it. The consequences just follow. Right? So, you know, we're going to rise up because we're going to pray. But I just want to give somebody the opportunity, right? Can we please rise up? I just want to give somebody the opportunity to, um, to, to determine their end. Because you can actually determine your end. You know that, right? Yeah, no? Yeah, you can determine your end today. You can determine your end today. And it starts from a decision. It starts from a decision, right? God is not after the perfect version of us. I mean, there's no perfection outside of God, number one, right? But he wants, he wants us to make the decision to follow him. Okay, so I want to give somebody the opportunity. Jesus is giving somebody the opportunity today to change the course of their life. To choose your final decision, to deter, sorry, to determine your final destination through today's decision. Because when we talk global leaders, global leaders, oh, they, do, they take a lot of decisions, right? And this is fundamental to even dream of any such global destiny as a child of God. Okay? So, you know, if you're getting a tug in your heart and you're saying to yourself, okay, you know what? I want to decide. I want to determine my final destination today. And you want to give your life to Jesus. Very simple. Just put your hand on your heart. And then just say this, um, this prayer with me. And, you know, here at the Ignite Church, we're all a family, so we're all going to say it together, right? All right, so it says, Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me. On the third day, you rose from the dead. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus, take away my sin and give me the grace to live a life that is pleasing to you. Amen. Come on, can we give it up to our brothers and sisters that have come back home? Yeah. Yeah, you have made the right decision by determining your final destination from today. Because once you say the prayer, 
automatically, the Holy Spirit has come in the inside of you. You are now a child of God. So you can now officially, you know, and legally, most importantly, lay claims to these promises of God. So you're going to see on the screen, just text SAVE to that number. We have a team of amazing people that will help guide, guide you, you know, provide you with, um, with materials as you take on this journey. And I just want to encourage you, you know, especially if, you, if you've been coming to the house, to the Ignite Church for some time, or maybe today's your first day, and you say, okay, you know what, I really want to stay on this path because it's like I don't want to make this decision again, right? One way to do that is join the workforce, right? Because when you join the workforce, what happens is that you're plugged in with like-minded people, right? And as, sharp, as iron sharpens iron, so the more, you know, you develop re relationship with Christians, you start thinking like them as well, okay? So that's one of the ways that you can do it. Um, all the information, you can sign up on the app. We have, um, on, the app is called HO Praise, but we have an Ignite um, section that you can just go in, join the workforce, right? Start serving. You'll be connected with people, like-minded people, that, and, you will not, and you will not have to do life alone. Because in the kingdom of God, we don't do life alone. It's not designed for solo travelers. Okay? All right, last but not least, we're going to take a prayer in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 9. And I'm reading in the Amplified. And it says, Therefore, whether we are at home on earth or away from home, and with him, it is our constant ambition to be pleasing to him. So I wanted to just pray, you know, Father, help me to live a life that pleases you. Okay? Help me, help me to stay on the straight and on the straight and narrow. Father, give me the desire to, to long after the things that you long. Fashion my heart. Oh God, like yours. Let, let's pray, you know, open up our mouths to pray this prayer because that's, this is what will help us, you know, to make it to the end. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask, oh God, that you will keep me on the straight and narrow in the name of Jesus. Give me the desires, the things that you desire. Help me to desire them as well. Father, give me the grace to stay in your word, oh God, to devour the scripture. Father, Lord, the grace, oh God, to serve you, the grace to live live a life that you will be pleased with, oh God. Change my heart. Let it be more like you. Transform me into the stature of Christ day by day in the name of Jesus. Father, Lord, oh God, one cannot do your will without your power. We ask, oh God, in the name of Jesus, that you will embrace us, oh God, to continue to follow after you, oh God, so that when you come, we will be ready to go with you in the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name we have prayed. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you. We give you all the praise. Lord, oh God, we thank you for this word, oh God, especially at a time like this. Holy Spirit, we ask, oh God, that you will give us the grace to live a life that is pleasing to you. That every decision that we make, every thought that we think, let it be in perfect alignment with your will, oh God. Everlasting, we ask, oh God, for the grace to stay in the game, oh God. Not to give up, that regardless of the conditions, oh God, our first ambition will be to please you in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Hallelujah.